You know, one of the things that I think you could say about our culture, American culture in particular, is that we have a tendency to invert our priorities and therefore make petty things important things. I think most of you would agree with that. And I was struck by that this last summer and even in the last few weeks. And the whole uh, controversy slash media craze over the, um, the dentist from Minnesota who shot the lion in Zimbabwe by the name of Cecil Lion. Did anybody hear that? I mean, it's all over the place, all over the news. And, and uh, from our perspective, of course, uh, we in America are animal lovers. I should kind of maybe say that a lot of people are animal, animal worshipers, but um, uh, it was, it's interesting to, to, to listen to the news and to hear uh, different people speak. And of course, a lot of people in the United States were just utterly outraged, um, demonstrating in front of this poor dentist's uh, office and so forth. But then the interesting side of things is to hear uh, interviews with the people from Zimbabwe, right? The people who actually live in the place where the lion was killed. And naturally, no one wants to see a lion killed. But uh, this one gentleman was on the, on the news, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something like this. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, that one of our favorite lions got killed, but we've got bigger problems in Zimbabwe than a lion. That's what he said. It was like, you guys are all focused on this, but we don't have jobs, we have uh, human rights violations and so forth. And then there was this other lady who said this, and this I did have a, a print of, where she wrote, she says, it's so cruel, but I don't understand the whole fuss. And this is somebody who lives there, Right? The whole fuss. There are so many pressing issues in Zimbabwe. We have water shortages, no electricity, and no jobs. Yet people are making noise about, about a lion. And, and to me, that just seems like such an inversion of, of values and priorities. Like, the people are trying to survive, and we're all uptight about, uh, about a lion, you know? And uh, it strikes me that that happens, of course, in, in, our, in Christian circles, too, here in the United States. Is we tend to make petty things big things. Um, in fact, I had a, 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 a missionary friend from India who, who said that, you know, I would rather be a pastor or missionary in India than be a pastor in the United States. You know why? Because we don't have to deal with all the stuff you guys deal with. We're just trying to basically survive. You know, you guys got to worry about people's feelings and saying hi to everybody and someone whose marriage isn't perfect, or, you know, taking up hours. He says, like, we don't have time for that, right? There are bigger fish to fry over there. It just, again, reminds me that we, we tend to invert important things, priorities, and oftentimes make much out of little things. And when we make much out of little things, it means those things are overly important to us. And as I was thinking of that, as strange and stupid and as corny as this may sound, I kept thinking about popcorn. The Deckard household, um, my particular f- favorite is kettle corn. You know, that sweet corn. My wife and the kids, they love the home style, you know, with that succulent but chemically hazardous little stuff called butter. Butter and salt. That's what we have at movie nights is, uh, is, is popcorn. And yet, here's popcorn right here. This is the corny part. You know what? I could spite you and just eat some right now. Just, just take time. No, it's like, you know, you look at this stuff. It's like you can't fill your stomach. Well, you could. It's not going to satisfy you. It doesn't last very long. It may taste great, but has very little nutritional value, Right? And yet it struck me that, you know, this is exactly like, um, like the stuff that we obsess over, the, the petty stuff. And, and unfortunately, most people, 
the, the, the degree of happiness or, or joy in their life is the degree to which the popcorn stuff in their life is going well. You know, I, it's just like, you think about all the things that people obsess over. Man, I wonder if, will that 75-inch TV fit on my wall? I don't know. Sweetheart, do you think it'll fit on the wall? Or, or uh, man, I, my, my, my job's just not really all that fulfilling right now. I think maybe I should do a different job. I pray about that and talk to a lot of people, get some counsel, and maybe fast and pray about that. Just, uh, Justin Bieber got a new haircut. Did you see it in September? It's horrible. My new iPhone's coming. I can't wait. I'm gonna look, email, see when UPS. No, wait, FedEx. No, UPS is going to bring it to me. So those tend to be, or, or more in Christian circles, maybe, did, did, did someone spend enough time with me? That did... Uh, um, did the music minister like reach me where I, I, I itch? Uh, and you just, just kind of realize when it comes right down to it, that stuff's kind of like the popcorn stuff, right? And, um, and the degree to which this stuff tastes good with the butter on it, or if it's burnt, tastes horrible, is the degree to which we feel a sense of, ah, uh, right? Well, what I want to say to us is that they're... they're, they're uh, that if this is this is this kind of stuff is is that is that like the substance of, of our lives for real, then the, the 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 richness and the power of the gospel will never reach our hearts. It will never penetrate our hearts if this is where we're living. There are deeper things into which we sink the roots of our being, of our soul, of our joy, and our sense our sense of peace. And, and there are two realities in particular which enable the roots of our soul and spirit and joy to go deeper than just this popcorn stuff that, that we oftentimes live for. And two truths in particular, a dark one and a light one. Underneath all this fluffy, non-nutritious, chemically hazardous, fake butter-covered stuff is... A dark rock. I just want you to kind of burn these things into your head. No matter how much of this stuff you have, we can't get away from the fact that we all die and we're all sinful. This stuff goes up in smoke. It's a, it's a, it's a, it comes and it goes. It tastes great, but it's definitely less filling. But underneath it all, as everybody knows, and sometimes people want to ignore it by covering it up with all the butter-flavored popcorn, the fact of the matter is, is that everyone, whether they admit it or not, is a sinner, and everyone faces death. That's, that's, that, that, that's the bedrock reality against which the beauty of the gospel must rest. I've never met a person who has told me they never lied. I have never met a man who has said he's never lusted. I've never met a student who say, said they never, ever cheated, which means everyone that I've come in contact with is a certifiable sinner. And as much as we ignore it or try and push it off, the fact is everybody knows we die. And you know what? If you were to sit down uh, across the table from a man in a life and death struggle with cancer, he would tell you in those moments facing death, this stuff does not matter. <laughs> I was actually afraid I was going to do that. 
just go ahead and see that's what happens it just kind of falls on the floor I'm gonna move this over <laughs> that is the reality against which we live and there's another truth it's the white rock and that's the gospel and it's that it's this right here delivers us from this this it's this that's the core of our joy and, and I, I believe that um, the story of Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, shows us the causes and roots of where our joy is found. All right? Um, I'm going to read you the story, and then I'm going to pull out three, if you will, causes or roots of Christian joy. It's not this popcorn stuff. Let me read the story, and then let's break it down. Um, and I want you to notice, and I've underlined it for your ease of um, understanding, how many joy words are used or um, are implied by what's stated here. This is an, like an explosion of joy. We've already heard two announcements. The announcement that John the Baptist is coming, and we've heard another announcement that Jesus the Messiah is coming. Verse 39 both of these women have now conceived. And if you will, John the Baptist meets Jesus in embryonic form for the first time while they're both in the wombs. And Mary and her relative Elizabeth meet while both carrying these babies. So in those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. That leaping is a leaping for joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Literally, it means she, 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 um, she shouted out loud. It's like a burst of, of joyful energy. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Like she's utterly befuddled and astonished that she would actually get to meet the mother who's carrying the Messiah. Verse 44, behold, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her and the, um, from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies, magnifies the Lord. Now she breaks out in poetic song. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And the rest of this is all joy. For he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, which they have. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of, um, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he has spoke to our forefathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. That last part kind of suggests that Mary stayed with Elizabeth until John was born because she was already six months pregnant and so she stayed the extra three to watch his birth. Just explosion of joy. You almost, uh, again, you picture it. So the scene is, if you were to back up before verse 39, 
Mary gets this amazing message from Gabriel who says, you know what, you're going to have a baby, so forth. And there's this, by the way, your relative Elizabeth, who's, who's elderly, she's already six months pregnant, which explains why Mary, in haste, like, I got to go see my, my relatives, books it down to Judea. And when she comes to the house and she, and she just says a greeting, like you can almost picture, Shalom, Elizabeth, is there anybody home? And immediately there's this like, this explosion of, of joy. And, and here's the, the mother of John the Baptist who's, who's in her womb. So I don't know what leaping in the womb is like. Um, probably more than just, hey, feel the baby move. Like whatever it was, it was fairly violent. So excited. It's almost as if, well... John the Baptist, who is supposed to introduce the world to Jesus, who's supposed to witness to him. It's almost like he can't wait to get out of the room to do it. Like, he's here, right? And then she, she's filled with the Spirit of God, and she begins to bless Mary. And then Mary, in response to that, um, just opens up with this kind of prophetic song and blesses the Lord. That's what I said, just an explosion of joy. What's the cause of these things? Well, I think at the, at the very center of it, and I think all of us would agree with this, I just want us to know and feel it a little bit, is the encounter, not with Mary, but the encounter with the Christ in the womb of Mary. Elizabeth came to know by way of the Spirit that this, and at this point Jesus is probably nothing more than somewhere beyond conception. He's just a handful of cells. And yet, she knows that the, the consummate hope of thousands of years was right here. And she was utterly blown away. I mean, that's the center of it. Um, that's what she says when she says, and why? This is a statement of of grateful disbelief, astonishment that God would actually let her be in the presence of this Messiah. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's my Lord. She calls him my Lord. She's already assessed the fact and come to the conclusion, this is the Messiah. This is the one. This is our salvation. This is our rescuer. This is our deliverer, the deliverer of deliverers. This is the king. So she, she knew this, and she was overwhelmed with joy at being in the presence of even uh, conceived Jesus. That, that, that has always been for the church, that, that is the true church that has the spirit of God in them, who love the gospel, um, that has always been the centerpiece of our joy. At this point, I don't think Mary had a real clue, or Elizabeth, just the magnitude of who Jesus was. Now, we sing, well, we don't really sing the song, but we listen to the song at Christmas, Mary, did you know that your baby boy, you know, would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know? I don't think she had a clue that she was carrying the one from whom, through whom, and to whom all things exist. Why? Why, why? why is there so much joy attached to Jesus? One of the reasons 
is because the deepest longings, the deepest desires, the deepest hungers, the deepest thirsts of the human soul, any human soul, believer or unbeliever, if you've got a beating heart, it's a human heart, the longings, the desires, the hungers and thirsts that we have deep down find their truest, deepest satisfaction or yes in Christ Jesus. You say, what, 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 do you, what do you mean by that? Well, you take any deep, deep longing uh, of humanity that, that is a shared one. Let, let's just take one, maybe a couple. The desire to be great, the desire for glory. Who wouldn't argue that from, from youth, we want to be great? We want to be glorious. My kid wanted to be the conqueror of the world when he was like five. My oldest. I think my youngest does too, actually. <laughs> um, that, that's, that's, a, that's an innate desire. And, 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 and whether you admit it or not, there's, there's a sense in which you want that too. So what makes the world go round? The problem is that we try and take or establish, or generate our own greatness by ourselves, and usually to the exclusion of, or the diminishment of, other people. God made us to be great. He made us to be glorious. But he goes about it in an entirely different way. What he says to us, what, the, what God says to us in the gospel is that I confer, to confer something is to give something. I confer upon you as a gift of free grace, sheer grace. I confer upon you the glory and the greatness of my Son. You read the New Testament and you realize Jesus shares his glory with us. But that greatness is only found for us in him. In a way that lasts through all, all eternity. See, it's, God confers upon us in the gospel through his son, the greatness of his son. It doesn't come from us, though. It comes from him. That's grace. Let's take another deep desire that every human has. A desire for pleasure. Who doesn't want buttery popcorn? I love buttery popcorn. Who doesn't want to have a nice evening with, a, with somebody of the, you know... Opposite sex in, in romantic communion. It's just, that's something we, we desire, intimacy. Problem is, of course, that we seek out pleasure um, in a very selfish, self-centered, I'm going to take it at the exploitation of other people and the world. When God in the gospel says to you, says to me, says to us, at my right hand, our eternal pleasures forevermore, Psalm 16. And I confer upon you who trust in me, in the person of my son, the joy and the pleasure of knowing him, the deepest pleasure of all. Or lay out for us the pleasure of a brand new creation, free from decay and free from brokenness and free from sin and stain. It's like, no, he confers it upon us in Christ through the gospel. That's right. He is the centerpiece of joy. Or let's take love. 
That's another deep need of the human soul to be loved, right? Even you macho men, as much as like to say, well, I don't need love. Well, the fact of the matter is, you're a coward if you say you don't need love. You're a wuss, right? I need love. I know I need love. But we look around the world and, and we see, or we should, I should say, we, we experience disappointment because everywhere we look, we find conditional love. And, and yet, the Lord, God, says in the gospel... I confer upon you, through the person and in the person of my Son, I confer upon you the fullness of my love. You have not earned it. You cannot do anything to get it. It is conferred upon you as an act of grace through Jesus Christ who gave his life for you so that you could be mine. You don't find love like that anywhere else that is satisfying or is eternal. So that God could say, because of his son, because of Jesus, that Jesus is the, the fullest representation of God's love for us. You won't find any other richer, deeper, higher, wider expression of God's love. And in it, he says, listen, if you're mine, doesn't make a difference. Um, whether you are killed with a sword or with famine, nothing in all creation can separate you from what? My love. All that to say that in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we find the deepest longings, the deepest desires, the deepest hungers, the deepest thirsts that God implanted in our humanity fulfilled. In part now, but in fullness later. But that is it. You can maybe understand that just a little bit, and you could go right down the line, and we could go... Desire after desire after desire. And you see that, oh, Jesus is, it is. It's, it's found in him. There's nothing better. That's encountering Christ. That's, that, that, was a, that, that is a, uh, the, where the roots of our, our joy is. Like this, it's this, not this. You also see the work of the Spirit in this text. There's Christ. There's a spirit. Oh, by the way, I just had to include this line from Johann Sebastian Bach, right? Jesu, uh, joy of man's desiring. Like three centuries ago, he understood this principle. When he said Jesu, word for Jesus, joy of man's desiring, holy wisdom, love most bright, drawn by thee, our souls aspiring soar into uncreated light. He got it. Church, that's what, that, that's, that's what we're supposed to be living for. The Spirit's work. There is this inner witness that takes place in Elizabeth about the baby that, 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 that Mary is carrying. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, now stop right here. There's no indication in the text that Mary got to get the story out. Right? The, the hearing of the greeting. That's all she had to say is, Shalom, or whatever she said. Hola, whatever she said. I don't know. At the, at the hearing of the greeting, there's no story of Gabriel. There's no like, guess what? God said I was going to be like the mother of the son of... That's amazing. She didn't see any of that out. It's just the, the greeting. And immediately... Like this John the Baptist in her womb is just leaping about. She's filled with the presence of God and she begins to bless. It's the spirit moving in her. And as I said, the story didn't get out, which meant the conviction or persuasion that what was in Mary, which probably couldn't even be seen yet, 
was the Messiah, came by way of the Spirit of God. She was so convinced by the presence of God in her that she recognized. And isn't that the work of the Spirit? Actually, let me, let me back up and clarify that. That is the primary work of the Spirit to focus our attention on Jesus. Not to focus our attention on other things, but rather to focus our attention. It's like the Spirit of God is like, man, I just can't wait to show you. That's the Spirit of God convinced her. And then she exploded in joy because of the Spirit's conviction that this is the Messiah. You know, so we, we believe in Christianity in this thing called the Trinity. I don't profess or even begin to profess to understand it. But it is glorious, the true, nonetheless. The idea that in the Bible God is an I, singular, and also a we, plural. That he exists as one through all eternity, one in essence, and yet at the same time he exists in three personas of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Meaning that God lived in eternal community with himself. He never needed anybody else's fellowship because he had the fullness of it within his own being. That's the glory and beauty of it. And the father looks at the son and he says, This is my beloved son in whom I am overwhelmingly pleased because he's magnificent. And I know that the son is like, This is my father who is all glorious who sent me. And the spirit, you know, moving through the heart of a woman, This is Jesus. I almost picture the work of the Spirit, and uh, I don't mean to diminish the work of the Spirit, but I almost picture the work of the Spirit as, as you know what, I just, I can't wait to show this person the wonder and, and, and beauty of Christ. I can't wait to open the veil of their heart to see that he is the sum of all that you really desire, the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's his work. That's his work in the church. That's his work through the word. That's his work in creation is to show off Jesus to us. And when the spirit is working in our life to do that, therein lies our joy, right? The the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace in the presence of Christ. It's the encounter with Christ. That's, That's our joy. It's the spirit's work in our hearts. And last but certainly not least, um, and this comes out of Mary's final song, God's exalting grace to the humble. Um, when the largest portion of this story is, is uh, what they call Mary's Magnificat, or the mag- magnification of God. Uh, it's the longest, it's poetic, it's a song, but it has a common theme to it. And that is that God has shown to Mary personally and has worked throughout all history and creation to do two things. To lift up those who are humble and to put down those who are proud. To lift up those who are humble and to put down those who are proud. You can sense it in just a piece of her song. She writes, or Luke writes, for her. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, power. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. That's mental. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, that's political, and exalt those, exalted those of humble state, that is political. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich, therein is wealth, he has sent away empty. God lifts up those who are humble, and he puts down those who are proud. In many respects, I think Mary was just like us. Uh, very simple. I think if you were to put her in a lineup, like at a beauty pageant, I don't think anybody would single her out. I really don't. Um, she came from a disreputable community or, or town. She married a, a blue-collar worker. Uh, the indication of the record of, of Luke is that she was poor. She had no health insurance, no benefits. I mean, that's who she was. She had a, <laughs> she had a lot less popcorn than we do, you know. She had a lot less to be concerned about or fuss over. Not as much petty stuff going around. Yet she saw the Lord's work in her life as, an, as a work of lifting up someone who's just lived by a simple and humble trust. Simple and humble trust. And think about it. She's, again, a no-name person. She wasn't a scholar. She wasn't... Uh, political, a political activist. She's just, just a normal girl. And yet God showed grace to the humble. This humble girl just simply trusted him. And you look, it's like she understood my name because I was given the unique gift of being the mother of Jesus. My name is going to go on from generation after generation. They're not going to forget me. <laughs> and we haven't. We've written, written songs about her. That he, someone so low that he's exalted. And that's, that's his way. Even his own son came humble, you know, riding a donkey. And that simple, humble trust in the Lord, God exalts. He lifts up. But the people who think they have it all together, the people who, are, who take pride in their wealth, take pride in their thinking, take pride in their political position, which he outlines right here, it's like those are the very ones that he'll bring low. Uh, and that, that, that is both a warning and it's also a, a tremendous freedom for us. You, you, don't try to make yourself great. That's a warning. Or you'll be put low. Um, allow the Lord to work in your life to make you great. It's, a, it's also a freedom because, listen, you know, you may think about your life, well, I haven't really I haven't done anything of... of, of uh, of fame. I, I haven't left my mark on human history. I'd like to leave a legacy so people will remember Dan Deckard. <laughs> That's half the problem, is that people remember Dan Deckard. Right? Um, you know what? The, this tells me that, you know, our part is to be faithful and trust the Lord and do what he's called you to do. No matter how large it is or how small it is because at the end of the day he's the one who exalts his people and maybe not in this lifetime but the day is coming in which the sun will shine upon you and we live for that day so if at the end of the day 
um, at the end of your life, nobody remembers your name, but you trusted in Christ and you found your joy in Christ. You know what? You were more than successful. And that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's the call of the Christian life. You know, I, 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 I don't want to be a person who lives for this stuff, you know, I, I, the petty stuff. I, I, I want, you know, this is the only one that actually deals with this, right? It's, it's, it's Christ and his spirit, and it's the promise that God himself in an act of grace will, he will raise us up. And it's in this truth that we find our joy. So, what do, you, what do you live for? Where do you find your joy, really? When it comes right down to it, just being honest before the Lord. Is it the collection of all of the simple but transient pleasures of your life? That tastes good for a short time? Or is it Christ? Is it the collection of transient pleasures, who you are by way of position or thinking, or is it Christ, Christ alone. This is where we need to be. And I realize probably a lot of us are filling our popcorn bowls. But I pray that the Lord would, you know, uh, refresh and revive his people so that the roots of their souls are dug deep into the massiveness of who Jesus is. Allowing the work of the Spirit to fill us with his joy. Knowing the promise that someday the Lord's going to raise us up. We don't have to raise ourselves up. Father, we come before you and simply ask that you'd help us live out in submission and surrender to your word. I pray for eyes that have not been opened that cannot see who Jesus is at this moment, are unaffected by Christ, have no sense of deep gratitude or joy in their souls, I ask this morning, right here, right now, that you would call the dead to life and you would give them a vision of Christ. That they would see and know who he is and they would feel that sense of belief that he not only existed, but he, he is who he said he is. He is the sum of all that we need and all that we desire. For others of us, Lord, that we have allowed the years of, of uh, familiarity to, to make us numb, I ask that you, in an act of grace, would peel away the layers of, of callous, enable us once again to rejoice in the Lord to rejoice in Christ Jesus, to rejoice in eternity, to rejoice in your love, to rejoice in everything that you have poured out on us through him. Revive our hearts, O God, with a, with, a, with a deep joy, a deep and lasting joy that comes from the bedrock of grace, the bedrock of Christ. Please, Lord, in this time when people live for the popcorn, May we repent of that and just allow our hearts to be deeply grafted into him. For the sake of your great name and for the sake of your church.